Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports. With Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. Here we go Wednesday morning, dark, dank, foggy, dreary, soupy, mushy, uh, pick out your term. It all applies, but it's okay. Ready to ride over that hump and on into a climactic weekend of the high school football regular season and a very important weekend for the Texas Longhorns and all of college football. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Light the Tower. On the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. Also glad to be joined by my co host, the pride of Northwest Williamson County, a proud graduate of Florence High School. Where they knew him is Highway 79 in his honorable mention, all district offensive lineman days as a member of the purple and white of the Florence Buffaloes. But you know him best for his outstanding work at Horns 24-7. That's Jeff Howe. How you doing? Rocking and rolling. Let's do this. Busy, busy Wednesday. It is uh, that. Uh, the man at the switch on this busy, busy day is our producer. the our erstwhile producer. He is erstwhile, and he is also uh, very capable and the purveyor of all good things, Flex ATX, because after all, in the final analysis, it's Flex. It's Flex. He's Jonathan John Donaldson, J.J. Donaldson, but we know him as Snoop Daniel. How you doing? Great big night of volleyball last night. Uh, it was uh, the by district round, so we had yeah. Where, where were you? I that? went to two games, and I wanted to keep it Austin ISD. So I started with McCallum, which was the district champion, mm-hmm. which was on the road at Pflugerville. Okay, they won three one, and in the second game I saw, and both of them three one. By the way, so kudos to the teams that lost. Uh, I saw Ann Richards. Stars, for the first time in my life, play a game against Eastview at Connolly High School last night. So I kind of did the Pflugerville area, and I did my first ever Ann Richards mixtape. Okay. All right. How about that? All right. Um, All right. Let me tell you what else uh, we have coming up. Snoop, in a moment, we're going to have our Whataburger Top 5, which are the top – they are the top five players to watch this week, and that's always falls on Snoop's shoulders. So we'll have that from him. Uh, We'll have a Longhorn Notebook. A little bit early edition of that. Jeff's with us during the first hour of the program today. So we'll have a Longhorn Notebook. Then, of course, our regular weekly conversation in studio here with the head coach of the Westlake Chaparrales. Tony Salazar will be with us. Those district champ uh, Shaps who are looking for a perfect 10-0 season and 50 50 consecutive victories as uh, they'll be closing out the regular season. Uh, And... uh, 
against uh, Buta Johnson this weekend. So we'll have that from him. Uh, we will have Inconceivable this hour. And then uh, next hour, we'll, uh, we'll have another Longhorn Notebook, and we'll uh, and that Longhorn Notebook will be a matchup in talking about Texas and Kansas State with Wyatt Thompson, the play-by-play voice of the K-State Wildcats. He'll join us in hour number two. We have a Flex 30 update. Snoop, fair warning, Flex 30 update next hour. We get into the playoff puzzle. Oh, I like puzzles. We're going numbers. The big puzzles with the big obvious. It's the Sudoku of high school football. It's the numbers and how it all works out in terms of point differentials in some of these tie breaks. So we'll get into that coming up next hour. But right now, it's time for our Whataburger Top 5. Now, it's time for the Whataburger Top 5. Okay, prepare to receive today's edition. Here we go! Top 5 players to watch. Okay, top 5 players to watch. This is Snoop Daniels Bailiwick. So. Yes. Since we have such a packed show, just a single tie at five, and that is the dynamic running back slash athlete duo matchup of Cameron Cook versus Quentin Joyner. Stony Point versus Maynard. This also has playoff implications, but probably two of our area's best skill players. I said, uh, I, since we're keeping it short, I'll just leave it at that. All flex watch list. One of these guys should win it this year for us. Number four and number three are playing each other, and they're the quarterbacks of Cedar Park and Georgetown. Aiden Arp and Noah Boras coming into this season. You would not have known those guys' names. They made themselves household names, and they're only junior signal callers and will be the future of these programs. Big matchup in preparation for these two playoff-bound teams, I think, unless Craig in the jigsaw puzzle will tell me something that Cedar Park or Georgetown no, can't no, make No, 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 you're right. You're okay, right. All right. It's important. Want, okay. Uh, number two and number one, they are two two-star athletes. One plays for the Weiss Wolves, which game against Hutto got moved to Thursday due to the weather, but nobody is talking about T.J. Simmons. And let me tell you, this kid can hoop. And Weiss got state hopes in basketball, but this guy has had over 500 yards receiving, eight touchdowns, a little bit behind Micah Gifford, which is a Baylor commit, but also almost 300 rushing yards and another two touchdowns. T.J. Simmons is really – he's played all nine games. He's a GOAT, So, and Weiss fans know what I mean. Number one player to watch, Mr. Grant Anderson. He's a stud on the baseball team, number eight on the football team, leads Vista Ridge in tackles. This guy, complete monster. He's a superstar in the waiting if they want a chance in heck uh, to beat the, uh, the uh, slay, the behemoth that is the Dragons, Dracarys. Uh, Grant Anderson is going to have to have a big deal to do with slowing down Mason Cochran. That's my Whataburger top five. Okay, there you go. As you rolled right on through that, that's a good thing to know. All right, uh, from there, we're going to jump right in to the first of our Longhorn Notebooks. Jeff Longhorn Notebook. Longhorn Notebook brought to you by... Erin Bowersock, the home loan expert, your Longhorn lender. Check her out on the team at BowersockTeam.com. That's where you find her on the web. See if she can do for you what she did for Linda and me, and that's to help get that home loan approval turned around like, just like that. After all, it is the home of the 10-day home loan approval guarantee. Check her out at BowersockTeam.com. We're gonna, this is a Rod Babers-inspired notebook, Craig, in, in oh, yeah? light of our Longhorn Blitz podcast. Yeah, because we, we've been trying to – dissect this Texas defense when things have gone well, when things haven't gone well. And we talked about this a lot on the Blitz. I've talked about it on this show. I've written about it in Horns 24-7, actually working on another piece on it for Horns 24-7 right now. And it's the struggles of the Texas defense to defend the middle of the field. 
They've struggled mightily in that. And Rod did some uh, some research, as he's known to do, and I just think this is great. Uh, Rod actually tweeted this out yesterday. Uh, in Texas, the last two games, so that's the win over Iowa State and the loss to Oklahoma State. Opposing quarterbacks, so we're, we're talking about Spen- uh, Hunter Deckers and right. Spencer Sanders. Opposing quarterbacks have completed 77% of their passes when targeting glance routes. That's the little, you know, kind of glance, skinny post, whatever you want to call it, off the RPO action. It's basically an RPO tag. Uh, slants, just your traditional slant route, or post routes. That's your, you know, deep post, skinny post. Uh, 66% of those targets were converted for a first down or a touchdown. And 44% of those attempts gained at least 15 yards compared to a 16% forced incompletion rate. Texas has been eaten alive over the middle of the field. And I went and looked back at the numbers. I heard Rod going on this on Rod's rant yesterday. Yeah, I went back and looked at this. Uh, Spencer Sanders in that Oklahoma State game, Craig. And, and the frustrating, the most frustrating thing about that game from a defensive standpoint is especially once we knew Braden Johnson was out and as much as Mike Gundy likes using his slot receivers, okay, there was really no other way they could attack you. You kind of had you could take your chances with their younger guys on the outside and devote more resources to the middle of the field. Texas didn't do that. Spencer Sanders in that game, Craig, this is just passes between the numbers and up to 19 yards down the field. 21 of 30 for 217 yards and two touchdowns. So Texas has to at some point get this figured out. It could be a technique issue. It could be you just need to simplify some things for guys at the second level and your nickels and your safeties and tell the corners, look, uh, you guys aren't going to have much help with your assignments. Uh, you, you could do some different things uh, in terms of coverage, just play uh, kind of more under man type stuff. Whatever the adjustment needs to be, it needs to be made because both of these Kansas State quarterbacks, whoever's going to be playing quarterback, they can both attack the middle of the field, especially, Craig, Adrian Martinez. Adrian Martinez on throws between the numbers and up to 19 yards this season, he's 50 of 70 for 421 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Will Howard on those same throws, 22 of 29, 241 yards, two touchdowns, one interceptions. Here's the caveat with Will Howard, though. We talked about his ability to throw the deep ball and how good he's been throwing the deep ball. On passes of 20 yards or more down the field, between the numbers, three for five, 81 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Now Hmm. you're dealing with the Texas defense. We'll see. We should hear from Sark tomorrow the availability, what it looks like for Anthony Cook, what it looks like for Ryan Watts especially if Cook is out, Cook and or Watts, because that's going to change how you deploy guys. Most likely, I would think if Watts is out, I think that means Jade Barron's probably going to corner and Jalen Gilbo will end up playing that star position. Like we talked about on Tuesday, if Anthony Cook is out, I don't know what your options are other than just say, hey, next man up. And to this point, next man up has been Michael Taff. So could you have some competition for that next spot? We shall see, but especially with you being vulnerable in the secondary and whichever quarterback is in the game for Kansas State, they can they can both attack that part of the field. And not just his ability in the run game, but the ability Deuce Vaughn has to catch the football. This goes back to even before Colin Klein was the play caller there. You go back to the 2020 game in Manhattan when Courtney Messingham was calling the plays. Think about how Texas was able to isolate at that point DeMarvian Overshone and Jawan Mitchell isolate both those guys in coverage with what they were able to do 
with Deuce Vaughn, sending him out of the backfield on circle routes. At times they just put him in the slot and ran him up the field on either glances or slants. They'll still do some of that stuff. We talk about intended touches for Deuce Vaughn. Same thing as B. John Robinson. They want to get him the football in a number of different ways. So I don't know, Craig, what Texas needs to do to rectify this issue. Again, I was asking the questions about it in the postgame after Oklahoma State. Sart said it. DeMarvin Overshone said it. Jaday Barron said it. That was the game plan, is they wanted to take away the middle of the field, and for whatever reason, they weren't able to. Until this issue gets resolved, uh, the Texas defense is still going to be on shaky ground, as good as they've been in other areas, Craig. Like, we talk about it all the time. They are really good against the run. It's really hard to just line up and pound the football at Texas. It's been really hard to do that. But I also think, too, one thing that can help the defense, and on the surface, uh, you you can kind of look at it and dissect it a number of ways, but I think the way these losses, especially the two losses to the the loss to Texas Tech and the loss to Oklahoma State played out, the defense is just getting overexposed, and it's the way they're getting overexposed. Like, you look at the two losses, Craig, the, the plays the defense has faced, and this isn't total snaps because some of these some plays get negated or whatever, but official snaps seen by the Texas defense in the two losses, about 99 against Texas Tech, 98 against Oklahoma State. And we talked That's about a lot of plays. We talked about the drive chart, right? When the offense kind of bogs down early in second halves, the defense is getting back on the field, even though against Oklahoma State they were doing their job. Let me see if I got I've got I had that drive chart pulled up. Yeah. So if you look at the drive chart for the Texas offense in the second half of the Oklahoma State game. Three and out punt, three and out punt, four plays and a punt, four plays and a field goal, three and out punt, four plays and a punt, eight plays and a missed field goal, interception, interception. If you look at the start of the third quarter, Craig, for the Texas defense, three and out and a punt, four plays and a punt, five plays and a punt, three plays and a punt, but the play differential adds up and eventually the dam breaks because then you get for Oklahoma State field goal, touchdown, a three and out punt, touchdown, punt, in the game. So at some point you've got to – you know, playing complimentary football, that's got to be Sark's feel for the game. We talked about that a little bit earlier this week just in terms of, man, sometimes you just got to just have some patience, take what the defense is giving you, and just put the ball in the hands of your two running backs. Not only is that going to help your offense sustain drives, it's going to take a little bit of that pressure off your defense. And I think for Pete Kwiatkowski, I think it's just changing where you've got your resources devoted to. Like, I think at this point, Texas is good enough up front with their down linemen that you can probably play lighter boxes or at least feel comfortable playing with lighter boxes and moving a linebacker out or moving an, an outside backer out, whatever, and go to either just a traditional four-man front or you can even go some three-man front because you've got guys like Moro Ojimo, even in some instances, Tavondre Sweat, you've got some guys that can play multiple shades and do some different things for you up front. So that way you can just say, hey, you guys, the run is going to be your primary responsibility. That group has proven to be disruptive anyway with what they're able to do with penetration. So it might just be, hey, we trust our defensive line enough to where they're going to be primarily responsible for the run because you've got to continue to devote more resources to coverage. And it's, it's interesting going back, Craig, to the offseason discussion about what was going to change about the Texas defense. We saw Sark and Pete Kwiatkowski, uh, Terry Joseph, Gary Patterson, everybody involved on that side of the ball. They were devoting most of their changes they made in the offseason. It was devoted to helping with coverage, whether it was competition at linebacker, bringing in a guy like like Diamante Tucker-Dorsey, moving Anthony Cook to safety, getting Jade Barron at the star position, bringing in Ryan Watts out of the transfer portal a lot of the offseason tweaks were devoted to helping out with coverage. They've they've been better, but still, again, with this middle-of-the-field issue, you just have to change how you devote your resources. And I think 
it just felt like Sark wasn't ready to go all in and trust this defensive line yet. But I think you've played eight ball games so far. I think at this point you can trust this defensive line to say, yeah, we'll take our chances thinking that they can control the line of scrimmage, which more often than not they're going to be able to, more often than not they have with the, against the teams they played. So, again, I think it's devoting, changing the way you may, might run some things in terms of your coverage and your schemes. I think it's just devoting different resources because you have got to get this middle-of-the-field issue taken care of. Otherwise, you will continue to give up yards and, and, and in turn give up points. The defense can't get off the field. I, I think that, Craig, too, leads to something else that's been an issue for this defense, manageable down and distance on third down, manageable distance on third down. If you look at Oklahoma State on third down in that game, their average to go distance was 6.7 yards, a little under seven yards. Now, you want teams, if you get teams in three, third and seven plus, that's something you'll take your chances with. And Oklahoma State actually was 0 for 4 on third and 9 plus. But, you know, if your average down to distance at the end of the game is about six and anywhere in that six and a half to seven yard range, I think you'll take that. Texas, on the other hand, we know the issues Texas had on third down. Nine and a half yards was the average to go distance for Texas on third down of that game. Oklahoma State finished eight of 19. So uh, just got to get that middle of the field issue fixed. There it is. You're sitting there in your silver chair, talking to some rich that you know. This is like the tower on the horn. Craig Wade. Jeff House, Snoop Daniel alongside. And it is time for our weekly conversation brought to you by Texas Truck and Trailer with the head coach of the Westlake Chaparrales, who are 9-0. and And now with a 49-game winning streak. And uh, time for number three all-time. It's Tony Salazar. Good to have you. How are yeah, you? Good to see you guys. Yeah. Great. Great to be here. Did that, uh, did that resonate with your guys a little bit about that? consecutive game win streak was that even brought up to him oh yeah it was brought up to him about the middle of the week obviously at this point in time we're trying to find every single edge we can <laughs> any way to motivate our kids and 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 obviously that's the trick of being on a streak like this is is finding ways obviously to uh, new angles to attack every single week and to keep kids focused about the preparation it takes every single week no matter the opponent and so Obviously, 49 games, Westlake has done that, and we're trying to do that for 50th um, this Friday night. We talked last week, Coach, on the phone about just the challenge that Bowie presented, and you know, you guys took them seriously as an opponent have since since you've been there. Uh, pretty competitive ball game in the first half, but at the end, you know, a 45 nothing win outside of the bottom line. What'd you like? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, the first half they got a couple first downs on us on defense, and obviously kept our offense on the sideline. Um, and then offense kind of went three and out a couple drives, and you kind of put those two and two together, and the fir- first quarter was gone, you know. And then yep. we turn around, and it's 10 to nothing uh, right there before halftime. Uh, defense did a great job of getting kind of three and out with about two minutes left. They had the ball left. We gave the ball back to our offense with about a minute and a half left, and our offense went yep. down the field and got a touchdown there with about 10 seconds left in the first half. I think that was really the turning point. It could have went at halftime 10 to nothing, and, it's, and instead we're up 17 to nothing. Um, and then you kind of add on top of that, we received, uh, we deferred uh, the opening kickoff. So we got the ball to start the third quarter. We will go out and score the first drive of the third quarter. Now it's 24 nothing. So only in a, in a game span window of about two minutes, we went from being up 10 points to up 
24 points. Yeah. So that, to me, was the biggest turning point in the game. Then our kids kind of you know rode the way from there. First coach I ever heard really emphasize that, that in the first half, start of the second half, was Mac Brown. Talked about, they get it go, if, if we can, if we've deferred the option, try to get down, get a stop, get down, get the score before the half is done. We get the ball and come back down. It's a it's it's not only a big numerical boost; it's a big emotional boost, is it? Absolutely, it's, it's an emotional boost. Obviously, start both halves, start the game, and obviously start the second half. Uh, in our offensive goal board, we have you know one of our goals every single week is to score on both drives, first drive of, of both halves. And when we get the ball to start the game, we want to score. When we get the ball to start the second half, we want to score. And uh, we we achieved that last week, and we've done it a couple times this year, but. There have been times we have it, and it allows your opponent to kind of stay in the game and, and to keep the momentum, you know, kind of uh, balanced or neutral, a neutral standing. And so, whenever you can start a half that way with the score, I think it's a big morale booster for your football team. How often? Uh, I, I imagine it's the the vast majority of the time. But how often do your guys hit all of the goals on their goal board during a, a game week? You know. The, the score is going to probably reflect um, a, a positive goal board. Uh, so when you do have a, a dominant win against an opponent, that's when you're more likely to get those uh, all the goals on offense, defense, special teams. I would say this year through nine varsity football games, we probably achieved that goal uh, at least three times. And uh, that's, that's saying something because we don't lower the standard. You know, um, our goal board based off of – whether it's a backup in the game, whether it's, you know, the, the four-string guy that's getting to play, you know, in the fourth quarter. Um, those goals travel with our whole football team and not just with the starters. And so to, you know, to make sure that we have zero three and outs, that falls on the guys that maybe are playing in the fourth quarter too, just like as the starters that started the game. I mean, that's a goal at our play. So you don't get a three and out. You don't give up a sack. No turnovers. I mean, these are all things that are make you a highly successful team. But they're also hard to get, and they're hard to get every single week, all of them. Uh, go to defense, we talk about 14 points or less. We talk about three or less yards per rush. We talk about, um, you know, sacking the quarterback, one of 11 pass attempts, gaining possession for the offense three times on the plus side of the 50. Um, those are things that we're talking about. How do we become a better defense? And that's giving the ball to our offense as many times as we can. Wow. Let those guys go score. Because I, I think that number might surprise some people. So only three? I mean, the, the, the way they dominate games. But you, I think that's a great point that you make. If you're getting young guys in there playing in the fourth quarter, probably their their veteran teammates are on the sideline going, don't let the goal board down. Let's that's go. It. That's it. And that's how we obviously keep the standard up at Westlake. Is it doesn't matter if you're number one, if you're number four. While you're in there, there is a plan to win. There's a there's an action plan with our goals. There's, an, there's a tangible number tied to these things, obviously with the stats. Um, all those things can have a direct impact on our success. And um, whether they're an All-State player or whether they are, you know, a first-year varsity player as a senior, um, all those guys, you know, are trying to live up to what the guys in front of them laid, laid before them. As you get ready to go into the playoffs, Coach, you're sub-varsity kids. How do you determine which of those sub-varsity kids you pull up to, to be whether they're you know scout team or whatever during the playoffs guys that are going to travel how do you go about determining that well through the years it's kind of been a process and obviously first and foremost we'd want every single one of our jv and freshman players to come up with as right. we could but uh, we have 110 freshmen 130 jv players so <laughs> we can't add 240 <laughs> players to our sideline yeah. uh, and so we'd look uh, red white and blue uh you know rainbow out there in the field too with all kinds of colors we don't have enough jerseys for 300 guys so uh, obviously that's logistical impossibility to to get all those kids. So we want to go for the guys that obviously 
uh, typically on our number one JV football team. They were the starters on offense or defense. Um, it doesn't always work that way because based of numbers and position groups, we might already have enough up that we have enough to practice with that we're fine. Some position groups we might need, obviously, to supplement that with those stars on offense and defense. Uh, we do like to bring up our young quarterbacks with our freshmen and JV to give those kids the opportunity to, to know what it looks like to prepare at the varsity level for a championship practice. Yep. Um, and, you know, guys, we did that today. You know, that's kind of how far ahead I think we are in our thinking is uh, we had that first JV bring-up practice with our varsity this morning. And, nice. and my thinking is, obviously, is, we don't have second chances next week. So if we go out and bring those guys to practice on Monday and they have no idea what to do, no idea where to go, and we're wasting all our time as coaches hurting these freshmen and JV players around the field and trying to get quality work and quality looks out of them, we wasted a day and we wasted time. And so I said, if we're going to waste any time or waste any you know kind of effort towards that, we're going to get that done this week. So that next week, obviously, when it's for all the marbles every week, we're not wasting days and opportunities. So... They showed up to practice six this morning. They were they were bright eyed, bushy tailed, ready to roll. Uh, they now know what it looks like to be at a varsity football practice. So, uh, the, yeah, the junior, uh, the JV bring up guys, those guys are doing a great job so far. Is that something you implemented this year, or is that something Coach Dodge did? And is the staff in the past was that something you brought in and said, "Hey, let's get them up a week early." Uh, it's really, uh, I would say, this is the first time we've done it this week, a week early. We typically do it next week. Um, but uh, most I just, programs do. Most programs yeah. do. Yeah, everybody waits till next week. I just want to get out of the way and one less thing to have to worry about and deal with next week. We can get, get all of our attention to our opponent, and obviously have uh, have guys establishing their new roles on our football program. And that's it. When we go through our roster from number one to ninety nine, we want every single kid on our roster to have a role. How are you making us get better as a football team? All right, towards winning a state championship and. And now those kids that we brought up, the 24, 25 sub-varsity players we brought up, they all know what their role is now. Um, and they're committed. Uh, part of being up is, hey, we plan on practicing and having Thanksgiving here at Westlake High School. Yep. Uh, and having practice right here. If you can't commit to being here um, during that week of practice, then all right, then we'll let you go to, to off-season a little early, build, build your strength, develop a little bit, and we'll get somebody else here that can. And uh, that's the expectation with families, with our community is – uh, we we have Westlake uh, Thanksgiving in Westlake, hopefully, because that means uh, we're practicing football. You got that turkey bowl thing that, that we got Coach turkey Dodge bowl was all about. Yep, <laughs> yep. Thanksgiving morning, we'll have turkey bowl, and those guys get to go out and play a little football and and have heck of a Thanksgiving. Um, you brought up, you said uh, first year senior varsity, uh, senior first year varsity players. How many of those you have? I would say we have probably fifteen to eighteen of those guys, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, may play JV football last year as mm-hmm. a junior and uh, have stayed the course. Uh, have, this program means so much to those kids. They're the ones that will not be deterred. They're the ones that are obviously disciplined and, and they're all in. You know, all that we talk about our program, we're all in. We're all in for this season, for each other, um, for this run at, at history. And uh, when you're a first year senior football player in our program. You have more respect, I think, than most people because of the road that you've taken to get to varsity. And the road might be a little longer in, in, for your end than it was for some other guys to get to that seat, that seat at the table, the chance to play on Friday night. Um, and, and those guys in our program are often the guys that are attack team players every single week. They're the guys that, you know, that show up and somehow manage to turn themselves into an all-district player as a senior. Those are the guys that get you over the top to be in state champions. 
Coach, we got a question on the Specs text line for you. Uh, and I know this is a loaded question, but who who would you say the coach or coaches are that influenced you the most in your life and as a football coach? Oh, wow. Well, Good question. Uh, yeah, I, I would say, you know, I think uh, the three – I have three main coaches I think influenced me the most in my journey here to be, being a high school football coach. Uh, with my high school coach, number one, Howard Ballard out in Dripping Springs. Mm-hmm. Uh, tremendous demeanor. Uh, what I really liked about uh, Coach Ballard is – it was never too high, never too low, just kind of a constant. You always knew what you were going to get with him. Um, you know, he had a real, real loving side to him and, and saw, um, I think, the impact he could he could make on high school-age kids. And, and obviously, I'm I'm an example of that. Uh, he influenced me to, to stay on track and to use sports, obviously, as an outlet to achieve things. And then I went to my college coach, Pete Fredenberg, Hall, Texas Sports Hall of Fame coach. Obviously, he's... Uh, you know, won three national championships there at Mary Hart and Baylor. Grew that program from the from the start uh, to where it's at now, and and he taught me obviously I think more about being a leader, uh, how to lead men, how to lead other coaches. Um, you know, as a player, how to lead; as a coach, how to lead. Uh, and I think he taught me all those different things about um, sometimes being the leader is lonely, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's hard to make some tough decisions. It's hard to. Uh, to never show any type of you know hesitation when making decisions, when all, all eyes are on you, all right, you have to come up with the right answer, the right response. Doesn't have to just be with your words; it has to be with your actions, with your body language, with everything, uh, with your heart. And I think uh, he taught me that. And then the last, but certainly not least, is Coach Dodge, obviously, and he's uh, he taught me obviously how to um, you know how to run a complete program, uh, especially at the high school level, a championship program, how, how to have framework with it, with with our objectives and our goal boards and and the layout and structure of obviously how to the things you hear me talk about all the time. I mean, that's probably more influenced by Todd Dodge more than anything, obviously, because this Westlake program wouldn't be where it's at without, obviously, uh, you know, his leadership and guidance and, and the structure he brought to, to our field house. And those three guys, all, you know, Hall of Famers in my book, all great quality men. Um, and uh, they all have impacted my life. And, and in countless ways that uh, I can never say thank you enough to those three. Westlake Chaparral's head coach, Tony Salazar, guest during this portion of the program uh, here on Light the Tower at Craig Way and Jeff Howe. Snoop Daniel with a All right, question now, the question uh, Okay, Coach, real quick. Oh, you were talking about the young kids coming up, and I do want to shout out uh, Looks uh, like you got Luther a list. and uh, Brody Wilhelm. And if they go undefeated in Win State, you will have won 88 straight games. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Bob, I want to ask you about Paxton Land, and he's been blowing up, so. Yeah, I mean, a bunch of good names in there. Uh, obviously, I think uh, the last name Luther rings a bell. Uh, his older brother, Sage, was an all-state free safety force uh, in our 2019 state championship team. He's playing up at Colgate right now, college football. Great, great athlete, great family. Sister was an All-American uh, swimmer uh, at Westlake, and I think at Georgia, and I think he's now at Texas. And mom was an Olympic swimmer. Uh, and the dad, in his own right, is a, is a great man. And uh, great, great family, but... Uh, Peyton is the next one in line. You know, he's been developing all year long. He's in a backup safety role. You see him all over the field on special teams doing great things. Brody Wilhelm, young sophomore, um, he's the one who has obviously the, the tangibles, all right, uh, all these five, you know, 185-pound frame. He's a hooper. Uh, yep, he, he can dunk a basketball with ease anyway. Um, so, obviously, he's got some talent with his, with his body, his frame. Uh, he's just grown into the role of being a receiver, and obviously he's the next man up. Uh, once these guys, uh, once five and nine vacate the he's premises, all right, you'll hear a lot more about Brody Wilhelm. Mm. 
Uh, here's a question on the Specs text line, um, and uh, you'll like this one. Uh, it says, ask Coach why the Shaps only had one first down against Bowie in the first quarter. That sounds like somebody might have thrown that at you from your uh, your uh, three-and-out club meeting yeah. yesterday morning. <laughs> it was, like you said, there was some adjustment that went on during that first Sure. Play. I mean, obviously, in the first half, Bowie's game plan was to, to load the box and take away 33. And you look up multiple times in that first quarter, it's, uh, you know, they got eight, nine guys in the box, and you're one-on-one outside, and it's, and it's third and one and third and two, and do you really want to throw a – 40-yard fade ball for two yards, or do you want to try to go impose your will and, and you know run a football for a first down? And obviously, we didn't convert on a couple of those. One of those was a was a wildcat. Uh, that was a little miscommunication in the backfield with the quarterback and the running back, uh, or with our wildcat quarterback, I should say. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, two drives out of the rest of the game. I, I'll take that any day of the week. Slow start, but the guys picked it up, and obviously – they scored in those two most important possessions we talked about, the one right before half, then obviously the one coming out of the third quarter. And uh, we got some scores, a, a score in there late, uh, I think, to uh, to McCree up a seam here in the fourth, start of the fourth quarter. We talked about the senior class coach. It's a special group. Uh, and, and you talk about you know finding finding different edges every week. Is For these guys, their last regular season home game, is, is that any kind of significance for those guys this week? Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, hopefully it's, um, you know, the good thing about positioning ourselves where we're at is we have secured a, a first-round home playoff game, right. so our kids yep. will get to play here at home again next week. But obviously I think it's more for um, our seniors and their parents just to, uh, you know, pay give some special attention to their parents. So they're the one of the reasons that they're at where they're at. And without their support and, and guidance, obviously they wouldn't have the opportunities they do. So uh, tonight, to Friday night is going to be a, a tribute to them as parents, as uh, the leaders of these young men um, and showing our gratitude and thanks for for them and allowing our us as coaches and obviously our players to to live out this dream of playing Texas high school football. Um, I think that's the the biggest. It's going to take the center stage on Friday night, and then next week obviously we'll turn our attention to our opponent and give them every ounce of of energy and and, and preparedness that we can. You uh, so you have Buta Johnson coming up. It's I'm going to emphasize a couple of words here. Still scheduled mm-hmm. uh, for Friday. Uh, all across the state of Texas, there are uh, schools pulling the trigger on moving games up because uh, partially, well, mainly, I guess, out of concern for what could be stormy and inclement weather on Friday night. But also, I think there's a background concern about one day's less preparation for a playoff game if you wind up to that. Uh, I know you've probably had some discussions. Is that is this still a fluid situation uh, for the game? Yeah, I mean, as, as the day evolves here, there's still obviously discussions about contingency plans with rain and with the imminent, uh, obviously, weather we have coming on. But this is Texas, and we all know that the, uh, the weather does change, you know, from the morning to the afternoon at most forecasts. So, uh, we're we're kind of we're just kind of dragging our feet a little bit here, wondering whether or not to to make some wholesale changes or just to kind of play it out and let it ride. And obviously, there's a bunch of things scheduled for Friday. Uh, we'd like to keep it on schedule, um, but um, I, I just say this to the fans and to our players: it's just uh, uh, be ready for a long night. We plan on playing a football game Friday, however long that takes. Be and, flexible, uh, right? Be flexible. Um, those times may adjust. You know, a little sooner, a little later. Uh, you know, maybe pack a lunch a lunch box in the, in the car if you get to go out there for a rain delay or something. You have something to snack on. But uh, other than that, uh, that's we're going to get it in on Friday, hopefully. Or if we have to move it to Thursday because the weather looks bleak, then we will do that as well. By all means, we're going to do what we can to get the, this game in. Um, you know, hopefully before Saturday. 
How about your thoughts on Johnson? What, what you expect to see uh, from them? Obviously, we talked about them earlier in the year. They're one of these these two five A programs in our league. They're moving up to six A, and so in our field house, we've talked about Johnson before. This isn't the first time our kids have heard about them. Uh, we kind of put them, you know, out there on our on our chalk, chalkboards and let our kids know that these are the new guys on the block. They're the ones coming off a, a nine and one record. You know, a, a great season last year uh, in their own right. Um, and had some obviously some their first senior class coming through their program, and I thought that was pretty neat. And so we've prepped our kids on that. Now our kids saw the tape on Monday; they were able to validate some of the things we've been telling them. They got good athletes, they got good players, they've got a good scheme. Um, and we're going to go out there and play. And obviously, they've they've beaten some teams in our league, um, so they've shown they can put it together for four quarters and win a football game. Um, they do a good job of running the football. They do a good job uh, of kind of spreading the, the, the wealth amongst their backs, the quarterbacks being a runner too. So it's going to challenge us schematically up front on defense. And then on offense, we got to just stay with who we've been. We've got to stay ahead of the chains and not make any obvious passing situations. Make us makes us obviously less predictable and allows us to spread the ball around the field and, and not let them dictate to us how we're going to play on offense. We appreciate you dropping by, as always. Uh, hopefully weather is all good, everything is all right for senior night and all that. And then, then, and then we're we're talking about that six-week run that matters most yep. next week. Yeah, we're, we're almost there, guys. Obviously, we hope we got we can put a bow on this uh, magical you know, regular season, make it 10-0. and 0. Um, That achieves the first goal on our goal board of, of winning this championship. And then, uh, then after that, uh, hopefully on Saturday, we can turn our sights towards, obviously, the next opponent and uh, – the big prizes that come along with playing in November, December. Thanks for dropping by, Tony. Appreciate Thanks, it. All Thank right. you, guys. That's uh, Tony Salazar, head coach of the Westlake Chaparrales. Uh, we have Inconceivable up next when Light the Tower continues on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. With Craig Way, Jeff Howe, and Snoop Daniel. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the Horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Well, Inconceivable goes down a couple of different roads uh, today. Uh, Snoop, we've got a fast food update for you here. So, because I know you're always always about that. Um, You're down, I know Jeff is. You're down with Popeyes, right? Oh, yeah. The chicken sandwich? Oh, oh, no. I thought you meant. I mean, the chicken sandwich. The Popeyes, not Popeye chicken. the Sailor Man. Oh yeah, I was Popeye like, the Chicken Man. I'll, you know, I'll, you have a good Popeye impression. Kick him in the ass. Anyway, uh, yes, good Robin yeah, Williams. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, Popeyes is observing the fact that today, today, fellas, is National Sandwich Day. Oh, it is. Yeah. Now, next Monday is National Fried Chicken Sandwich Day. So what they're doing is sandwiching those days and the stuff in between. They got a BOGO deal going on here, the uh, buy one, get one deal on their chicken sandwich. Here's the catch, Snoop. App. App or or order online. You can do it online. Popeyes.com. Best chicken sandwich I've ever had in my life. Had one in New Orleans. Willie, yeah. Willie Mays Scotch House. Not Willie Mays, the baseball player. Willie Mays Scotch House. Okay. Their chicken sandwich was. Scotch House? Yes. Best fried chicken I've ever had. Best chicken sandwich I've ever had. Okay. Both of them. All right. Uh, We'll keep it on the uh, food thing for a moment. Uh, uh, I know this holds absolutely. So if it's National Sandwich Day, it's a good day to get a McRib then, probably. Probably is. I would say that. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I know this holds zero, less than zero significance for Jeff. 
But, Snoop, I know that you frequent Starbucks as I do. Yeah. Uh, the new holiday cups are out. Yes, the, oh, the green. I haven't seen that Yeah, one. yeah. They got they got some new ones now. So they got the new uh, holiday cups The out. red cup, like not like the party red cup, but the no. Starbucks red cup. Is right, right. All right. So, so there's that. All right. So that completes the food scene on this. Um... You know, we had the uh, the uh, cheating scandal with the fishing, right? With the uh, fishing term, with the uh, fish that had the uh, yeah. weights in them, the lead weights there mm-hmm. in Ohio, and then some had other pieces of fish put inside yeah. them, you know, that kind of deal. Well, we got a cheating scandal in Cornhole. Cornhole? In Cornhole. <laughs> By the way, some, I've had a lot of people ask me, so why, why is it called Cornhole? Because... Uh, the, the bean bags actually had corn in them to begin with, and you're trying to throw it through the hole in the board, obviously. So that's how it started. Is cornhole just is that the oh. is that the sophisticated man's <laughs> way of pl- pitching washers? Uh, yeah, is it could washers be. just too white trash for some people. Uh, I'm not saying washers are white trash. I love pitching some washers. Yeah. Me. Well, cornhole, you're trying to get it actually down the hole in probably the, the, the target. cornhole boards are easier to transfer than digging a washer pit, so yeah. probably it probably makes more sense. Cheaper. Well, yeah. this this was reported in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. It's being known as Baggate, uh, so it's causing turmoil within the American Cornhole League. Uh, of course, the league hosts the paid tournaments for the sport, normally enjoyed by amateurs at tailgates of the backyard barbecues, uh, that sort of thing. But we've seen it's televised now on ESPN. I mean, you can see those the the cornhole league uh, with what's going on there. Well, at the World Championships in South Carolina, two top-ranked duos were found to be using bags that were lighter than regulation size. Though officials continued the competition after ruling no intentional violations had taken place. That's right. But it led to talk of new regulations as some of the players in their sport are boiling their bags or washing them with vinegar to make them lighter or thinner. That just seems like it's putting way too much effort into something. Somebody might have said that about trash cans five years ago. You know, there's just too much effort. Like Sark says on that commercial, you got to want it more. It takes everything. Including cheating. (laughs) Players can make thousands (laughs) of dollars playing in cornhole tournaments. uh, And some of those are on ESPN, as we know. So, uh, yeah, there's uh, this new report (laughs) makes cornhole the latest sport to be entangled into a controversy over alleged cheating. It includes... Got to clean up cornhole. Fishing... We've chronicled professional chess and uh, <clears throat> Irish dancing have all been in the spotlight for similar reasons in recent months. They're cheating. So, yeah. So there's uh, that. That's it's a brazen cornhole violation. It must be. Okay. Um, either of you guys ever been to Niagara Falls? Never. I know you haven't, Snoop. You haven't been to Niagara Falls. Yeah, I, uh, Snoop's just not very well traveled at this point in his life. But that that's soon to change, right, Snoop? We'll, we'll get you on a plane. We'll get you some places. Just tell us where you consider, want to go. Whoa! Considering that he was that that he was not born in the United States of Correct. America. Not even yeah. from these parts. So I think right. that's why I'm I'm this I'm uh, I'm cool to just be where I'm at. Uh huh. Okay. I could be okay. Sorry about that uh, headphone gave. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Um, Niagara Falls was pretty cool. I've been there before and, and, and all that. Well, now they've got this new attraction, so to speak. There's a gigantic 
tunnel that's been under Niagara Falls for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. And now it's open to the public where the folks can go up because it was used for hydroelectric power. Uh, it was dug on the Canadian side. And, it, and there was a power station in there from uh, 1905 until 2006, which diverted water from the Niagara River to run generators, these giant generators. Well, now you can actually take tours and go down go down in the tunnels below Niagara Falls. Well, that what sounds a, cool. I know. I, I have a feeling Snoop might be a little wary uh, of doing something well, like that. Why like, do I have the feeling there's something like that? Because something could go wrong. Wayne Newton's law. It's not Wayne Newton's law. It's just it's just Newton's law of oh. physics. And and I think you're thinking of Murphy's law. Oh, about Nate whatever Newton's came. law? Nate yeah, Newton's law. Go. That's yeah, what I meant. He might say that. Uh, here's something that went wrong. This is this has a little bit of creep to it, uh, creep factor to it. Stanford University is reviewing its safety procedures on campus after a man was caught living illegally in the dorms. Not a student. <laughs> Just dude. Just hanging out, huh? Living there. The Stanford Daily, the university newspaper, identified the man as William Curry. And Just like guy on the couch and half-baked. Yeah. Just kind of there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> William Curry, not related to Steph. Couch uh, Even though it's out there in the Silicon Valley. And he was named by the university as <clears throat> Mr. Curry. Uh, The man was reported to be on campus several times since December of last year, but was most recently caught last week, according to the External Communications Assistant Vice President for Stanford. Curry reportedly, and they got this in quotation marks, socialized with the other residents and was regularly led into the dorms by the RAs, the resident assistants, Mm -hmm. according to the Stanford Daily. The paper obtained messages that showed RAs trying to verify who was authorized to live in the dorm through their rosters. And while some discussions were had with some resident staff regarding Curry's intrusions, quote, there were no broad communications about him to all Stanford residences. So circumstances of the case, including Curry's, quote, persistence and ability to integrate, no, ingratiate himself, with our student community show that gaps exist in protocols to prevent such incidents from happening. Says we will immediately undertake a review to ensure our procedures do not allow for this type of incident to happen again. So this is a guy who's just living in the dorms. So basically. I guess the RAs just probably thought he was just he was a student, just didn't I guess. Didn't question it. And didn't question, just kind of